Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 27. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. If you know him because he abides with you, you will know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live, and you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take a moment for silent reflection. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we now come to this moment as the scriptures have been opened, as our minds are being focused, as our hearts are being awakened. And yet, it is so difficult to be still. We have ideas and thoughts that are swirling around us. We have cares and concerns. There are those of us right now who don't know how we're going to pay rent or pay the bills. There are those of us right now looking for employment. There are those of us right now who find this shelter-in-place season to be something like a mandatory vacation, as we, or a staycation, rather, as we hunker down in our homes with good food and good drink and plenty of Netflix shows to watch. So in our comfort and in our discomfort in our hope and our fear, in all the ways we feel like we're put together, in all the ways we're coming undone. Help us to see that you know us and you see us in all our complexity and contradiction, the ways we get it and the ways we don't get it, and you know us. You know us to our very depths. You love us to the greatest heights in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ, who you gave to rescue the whole world. So now we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
That you'd transform our lives and awaken us to your grace. You'd activate us and send us out to be your hands and feet wherever we go. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, one of the big themes of Renew Church is that as God serves us, we serve others. As God loves us, we love others. And you know, there's some organized ways that we do this throughout the weeks and months. We do our Know Your Neighbor event the first Saturday of every month. We distributed food as you had made grab-and-go lunch bags out for the neighborhood. But especially in this season, we're not doing this in so many organized ways. It's rather in the thousands of organic ways that we're serving our neighbors. I loved seeing this week one of our neighbors said, Hey, Matt, I love how you and your family have dinner out on the front yard so you can say hi to neighbors when they're passing by. I'm going to move my, my bonfire pit out to the front yard so I can greet neighbors as well. And so neighborhood and community are growing even in a time such as this. Now, my oldest son, Benjamin, and I had a unique way to serve our neighbor yesterday as we had walked out earlier in the morning and noticed like many houses in this neighborhood, there's the street, there's our home, and then there's an alley behind our home. And the garage on the other side of the alley happens to sit on a, a vacant lot. The house burned down years and years ago, so there's just this garage there. And the garage had been broken into. The garage had been broken into uh, in a very uh, unique way, maybe like a very Fortnite sort of way. Kids, if you're watching and you play Fortnite, someone had used essentially an axe and cut through the wall of the garage, and that's how they accessed everything that was inside. Most people would go through a door or a window. Some people use the wall. Uh, but we weren't just going to let that stand, so we're trying to track down the owner. It's really difficult, but at the end of the day, Benjamin and I got to get out you know, big sheets of plywood from our garage, and we're cutting the stuff up, and we're screwing it into the sidewall of this garage. We're installing solar-powered lights above the garage over there, and uh, it's just one of the ways I didn't think we'd get to serve our neighbors in this season. So, Benjamin, shout out to you for being creative, and uh, who knows, guys, we're all in this together, caring for our neighbors the best we can. Now, this passage comes to us as part of Jesus... It's called the Last Supper Discourse. These are the final words that Jesus wants to share with his closest friends before he goes to the cross, before he's risen from the dead. And it's interesting that one of the big questions that he wants to make sure that we know is, where is God in the midst of calamity? Where is God when things seem like they're not going the way they're supposed to be? Where is God when a pandemic hits? Where is God when someone uses an axe to cut through the side of your garage and steals your stuff? Where is God when life is not working out the way we wanted it to work out? And Jesus says, don't you worry, because I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. I will always be with you. I am intimately attuned to every detail of your life. In fact, I don't just walk beside you or ahead of you or look down from above you. I will be in you. I will give myself to you. I will give the advocate, the spirit to you. I will not leave you orphaned. Now, one of the things I want to point out before we get into this study on the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promises to send to all of us, is first, I just want to point out that one of the unique hallmarks of Christianity is that it's a Trinitarian faith. In fact, it's the only Trinitarian faith that believes that God is three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it's one God. Three persons 
in one God. And this is one of those passages where we see this in operation. Verse 20, Jesus says, On that day you will know that I am in my Father. And then in verse 26, he says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of everything I've said to you. And here we have it. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit operating, operating together to create, to recreate, to animate, to remind, to infuse you and me in this world with new life and new love. Now, I remember the best explanation I had heard at the time of this. I was doing a paper for undergrad studies at the University of San Diego. I found myself in the book stacks of the library late, late into the evening. I had gone down to research some paper that I was writing and came across C.S. Lewis's book called Mere Christianity. And in one of the chapters, he talks about the Trinity. And I thought I'd just read a paragraph and put it back. I ended up on my stomach in the aisle reading the rest of this passage, of this chapter, I might have even finished the book that day. Uh, but here's the explanation of how he says, how could God be both three and one? And he says, imagine that you only had the ability to perceive one dimension instead of the usual three dimensions. You can only see one dimension, and so all you could see is a line. Now imagine you are given the ability to perceive two dimensions. So you can see a line, but you can see lines in two different dimensions. So you can now perceive a square. Now imagine you can see three dimensions, and so you can still see the line, you can still see the square, but now you can see a cube three-dimensionally in a way you could not have imagined. The three-dimensionality of that cube does not take away the presence of the square, does not take away the distinctness of the line, but all three are now combined in a way you could never have imagined before. Uh, or to use a musical analogy, musicians, you know this better than I do, but a chord is made of multiple notes that are played together at the same time. Three notes played together in harmony makes a chord. It does, not, it does not diminish the distinct individuality of each note, but now they are combined in such a way to make something new altogether. And here's a couple of the big ideas. The first one is that God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have existed together throughout all time. If that's true, then why did God create the world? Why did God create humanity? Okay? If God was not community throughout all time, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then maybe God created the world and humanity because God needed somebody to love. God needed somebody to love God back, so God made this. But that's not the case. That's not the image of the world with which we're presented. We are presented with a deeper reality of a God who throughout all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been loving one another, lavishing love upon one another, and therefore creation is not out of neediness. Creation is out of an overflow of creative communal love. You know what that means. If you and I are created in the image and likeness of God, which is what Scripture teaches us, it means you were created for community. That's one of the hardest things about this pandemic. Sheltering in place. Not getting to see the people that we want to see or be as close as we want to be. You know, my, my mom and stepdad came over the other night and we had to do a shelter in place, you know, socially distanced dinner without any hugs. We yearn for that connection. We long for that connection because we were created to connect with one another. It's also one of the upsides of this pandemic as now you're coming together with people you otherwise wouldn't say hi to because there's more Zoom meetings, more FaceTime. 
We're created to connect. You're created in the image and likeness of God. It also means that God, the Holy Spirit, is personal. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he, not it. If the Holy Spirit was an it, then your relationship to God would be mechanical. It would operate more along the lines of what people understand to be karma. If I do good things, good things happen. Do bad things, bad things happen. Mechanical. But it's a he. He's personal. It means he's relational. God is not a topic to be mastered, but a person to be encountered. And so the big invitation is to open yourself with a relationship to God. Maybe the most powerful prayer that you and I could pray today would be, Holy Spirit, make my heart open to the Word of God. Make my heart open to the goodness of God. Make my heart open to the love of God every day. You know, that's a great diagnostic question for us. Am I open to the acting of the Holy Spirit in my life? Do I pray for God to give me illumination, to make me more sensitive to God's things? Okay, so... God, the Holy Spirit, is personal. Let's ask the question, what is he like? And here's where I want to focus our attention today. There is so much to say about this passage. Okay? This is like running through your favorite museum in 20 minutes and just pointing out your very favorite points today. Okay? There's a lot more to say, but let's look. What is the Holy Spirit like? The Holy Spirit is the personal, powerful presence of God in you, For the good of the world. Okay? The personal, powerful presence of God. In verse 15 and 26, we hear the Holy Spirit called the advocate. The Greek word here is parakletos, to be called alongside. Other translations say advocate, helper, counselor, comforter. And here's the big idea. The Holy Spirit is God's personal, powerful presence. For you, on your side, making a legal case for you to yourself. When that inner critic in your own mind rises up and accuses you, the Holy Spirit rises up louder and says, you are forgiven. You are accepted. You are loved. You see, we try to make a case for ourselves. You see that? I mean, where in your life do you say, look, I am lovable because I have a boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm lovable because I have a spouse. I'm lovable because I have children. I'm lovable because I have a thousand followers on Instagram. Or we say, I'm not lovable because I don't have kids or don't have a spouse or don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend, or nobody's following me on Instagram. But the point is, do you see how we try to make a case for ourselves, and it always leaves us wanting? We try to make a case for ourselves and say, I am acceptable. Look at my career. Look at the vacations that I'm able to take. Look at the car that I drive. Look at the clothes I wear. Look at the friends that I get to hang out with. Or we say, I'm not acceptable. People don't answer the phone when I call. They don't respond to my texts. But do you see how trying to make a case for ourselves based on externals is always going to leave you and me hungry and wanting? 
You know, this is one of the weird things about success. Is when you have success, or when you don't have success, rather, you wonder if you ever will. And when you do have success, you wonder how long it's going to last before it runs out. But it's like a vapor. It slips through your fingers. We try to make a case for ourselves, and we become exhausted. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, I am for you. I know you. I love you. I'll guide you. Another translation, as I mentioned, says the counselor. He argues with you for your own good. The Holy Spirit will argue with you. He will go against you if you are going against yourself. The Spirit of God will say you are built for more. You are designed for more. You are called to more. I love you. I'm not a yes friend that's just going to agree with everything that you want to do, even if it's going to hurt yourself or others. I will argue with you based on what's right and real and true and beautiful. He advocates for you. He's on your side. And you know what he does? He brings peace. Brings peace. Verse 27. Jesus says, Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. He he, he juxtaposes the peace that he gives with the peace the world gives. How does the world give peace? Well, on one hand, one definition, the world gives peace through the absence of conflict. It's peacetime. Or maybe when we look at our own lives, we say we're at peace based on our external circumstances. So if things are going well, we can be at peace. If things aren't, then we're not. Throughout history, nations have created peace at the tip of the spear. The Pax Romana, the big idea of the Roman Empire of Peace was that if you step out of line and create any violence, we're just going to wipe you off the face of the earth. So there's peace through violence. And that story has been amplified and told and retold to this very moment. How do you find peace? How do you answer, how do you, how do you find, finish this question? I will have peace if... How do you fill in the blank? And how's that working for you? You know, therapists and psychologists will say in times of pandemic and crisis like this, humanity uh, generally can either overfunction, try to control everything we can. If you can't control your life, at least hopefully you think you can control someone else's life or your kids. Or we shut down, and we anesthetize, and we medicate, and we run to all of our entertainment and addictions and just kind of put our heads in the sand. Both are strategies for seeking peace. The question is, how are you finding peace right now, and is it working for you? In this season of this pandemic, I've got to tell you, friends, I feel like I go back and forth between overfunctioning and shutting down. I mean, some days I'm wondering, you know, pastoring, ministering, counseling, planning. Uh, Wednesday is a very regular long day for me. My first Zoom call is 8.30 in the morning and we finish community group on Zoom just after 8 o'clock p.m. So 12 hours of pastoring, counseling, walking, planning, praying. Uh, It gets tiring. It's great and it gets tiring. It's challenging and it's exhausting. It's inspiring, but it can also take everything out of me. Often, my inner critic has me asking questions like, are we doing the right things as a church? Are we doing enough? 
And what's really been consoling is when I talk to other pastors, they're all asking the same thing. So first of all, I applaud all the churches in San Diego that are asking big questions like this and seeking to move forward and serve and love our neighbors well, especially in the season. But here's the point. It takes a toll. It takes an emotional toll. It takes a mental toll. It takes a physical toll. I'm so thankful for the words of one of my mentors who said to me, dude, you need to find peace with Jesus regardless of your circumstances. That is so simple and so profound. You need to find peace with Jesus regardless of your circumstances because the way I want to counter that is say, you know, once all this unresolved tension is resolved, then we can have peace. Friends, that might not happen for a while. And Jesus comes into the room and says, peace I give you. I don't give you peace like the world gives that's dependent on your external circumstances or even upon governments of this world. I give you a peace that will never fade and never leave you. The peace I give you is constant, powerful presence of God with you right now. And so the result is there's still tension in this world but rather than caring less or retreating or shutting down, I actually care more. I engage more. I have more energy, more hope, and more buoyancy as I receive this peace in my life. More healthy, more stable, more deep, and more true place to actually live and minister. I think this is what he's inviting us to today. Where do you need to see his peace in your life? And remember... Jesus is saying this on the night before his crucifixion. He's not saying this the night before the big family vacation. He's saying this before he knows that all chaos will break loose in this world and upon his body in particular. He knows that pain and confusion are coming. And he says, peace. Now, how do you access that kind of peace? I wonder if part of the clue is verse 20 and 23. He says, you in me and I in you. Do you see this union? Verse 23, the Father and I will make our home in you. If the Father and Jesus have made their home in you, then how can you imagine that there's any distance between you and them? God is not far off spectating. and God has not fallen asleep on you. God is closer to you than the next breath you take because he is inside you, advocating for you, counseling you, giving you peace. The personal, powerful presence of God in you. Verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now someone says, oh great, this is what I hate about the church. This is what I hate about religion. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Guilt, great, I'm out of here. But let me just say, hold on. First of all, I hear you, and some of you have run from toxic generators of guilt, and you probably should. Guilt and shame. Run from shame, okay? But I want to show you what he's actually saying. The word if in Greek is aeon, E-A-N, transliterated to English. And it can mean if. It also can mean when. And so a better translation would be when you love me, you will be keeping these commandments of mine. 
When you love me, you'll be keeping these commandments of mine. He's not questioning their love. He already assumes it. And he's definitely not saying his love is conditional because in John chapter 13, the previous chapter, he's already told everybody it's unconditional. So there has to be something else going on here. When we go back to the beginning of this Last Supper discourse, then we ask, what are the commands that he's already given anyways? See, this is not him saying, if you love me, you'll be a more moral person in this, in this world and have a better ethical set of principles than other people, and then you can make them feel bad because they're not as good as you. No, 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 not at all. What are the commands he's given so far? In chapter 13, he washed his disciples' feet, and he said, let yourself be loved by me. <laughs> That's a command. Let yourself be washed clean by me. Believe that I love you this much. That's an order. Those are the kind of commands that Jesus is giving on his last night with his friends. But he goes on and says, out of this resource of being loved, love one another. Wash one another's feet. Serve one another. Forgive one another, as I have done for you. So here's what I think he means. He's saying, when you believe me, that I love you this much, when you let me cleanse you and refresh you and you share that renewing love with one another, you're exhibiting my love. Friends, what would be different if the first thing you heard in the morning, the first thing you think about is him saying, he loves me, he cleanses me, he makes me new. See, Christianity is not do a bunch of good deeds to earn God's love. That can be found in many other religious worldviews, but not in Jesus. Christianity says, receive my love, live in it, let it radiate outward around you in your words, in your actions. This is a gracious invitation, not a legal demand. And if you miss that, you miss the heart of the gospel. We experience God's love as we trust him. The spirit is the personal, powerful presence of God in you for the good of the world. I love verse 22. It says, but Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, it's like, Judas, not the one who would later betray Jesus unto his death. The other one that we still like, that we still invite over for cocktail parties. Judas, not Iscariot, says, what about the rest of the world? And Jesus essentially responds, I will reveal myself to the rest of the world the same way I revealed myself to you. Person to person, friend to friend, through individual people who receive my love and share it with others. He says, my father and I will come and make our home in these people who hold like life to my word and love. And here's the miraculous surprise. These are the very people who love me and go out into the world. And he says, my father and I will go out into the world with them. You are never alone. I will take up my residence in you wherever and everywhere and through you and your witness I will reveal myself to the surrounding world. That is how I will reach the rest of the world, Judas, not Iscariot. 
And we see this later on in Ephesians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul is speaking to a church in Ephesus, which is far away from anywhere that Jesus traveled to in his earthly ministry. And Paul is speaking to all these new Christians in this big major city, and he says, Christ came and preached the gospel to those who were far away and those who were near. To which you, observant reader, are going, when did Christ preach the gospel to those who were far away and those who were near? He was never even in that region. And the answer is, Christ preached the gospel wherever Christians preached the gospel. Christ was loving people wherever Christians were loving people. Christ was serving people wherever Christians were serving people. Do you hear the immense depth of the calling for what it looks like to follow Jesus? So what does it look like right now in this particular season with your specific circumstances and resources to be able to say, Christ is preaching the gospel in my home, in my neighborhood, in my family, in my workplace? What is the calling he's giving you today? And finally, I need to end with this. How do you receive this personal, powerful presence of God that's in you for the good of the world? And the answer is, don't try this without the gospel. Okay? The invitation to receive the Holy Spirit is the invitation to receive Christ himself. Verse 16 says, Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Which begs the question, who was the first advocate? Jesus himself. Jesus advocates on your behalf and mine. Jesus makes his case for you and me, not by pleading for mercy, but by pleading for justice. A good advocate makes their case based on truth according to the law. And when Christ makes his case to God the Father for you and me, he makes it based on justice. In other words, he goes before the Father and he does not say, you know, please have mercy on Matt. You know, he's trying, he's getting it wrong a lot of the time. He's had a hard day at work. You know, give him one more chance. Come on, look at the guy. I mean, He's marginally intelligent. He's got male pattern baldness. He's got three kids. He's tired half the time. Uh, you know, just give him a break. You know what? That will not bring deep comfort to me or to you. Because the whole time I would be thinking, how long can he keep this up? I'm getting tired of him pleading based on mercy. But thankfully, that's not what he does. A true advocate makes his case strongly according to the law. And how does Jesus make the case for you and me? He comes before the Father in perfect righteousness and says, Father, here are my brothers and sisters that I have died for. Are they liars? Yes. Are they bitter and unforgiving at times? Yes. Are they selfish? Yes. Have they failed to love you? Yes. Your law is just and it demands payment. And I have paid the price on the cross. I demand that they be forgiven based on your justice. I demand acquittal. <laughs> That's the loudest verdict on your life and mine. Forgiven. Loved. That's an infallible case. 
See, in every other religion, the justice of God is against you and you need to prove yourself with your life and try to tip the scale in your favor. What a burden. But the wonder of ages is that Jesus Christ himself is your advocate. The justice of God is actually on your side. And this is why Jesus can come to you and say, I will never leave you forsaken. I will not leave you orphaned. I give you a peace that this world could never, ever give you. And the hardest work you have right now is to believe that, to trust that, to receive that, and then to go out and do likewise for others. Renew Church, this is our great calling this week. May you seek him, may you know him, may you find yourself in him, May you be surprised by joy even as you walk through difficulties. And may you go out to be an agent of God's peace wherever you go. Let's pray. Gracious God, I do pray now, just as you promised in John 14, which we just read, that you will send the Spirit and that you would take up residence in us and convince us of all these things. And so now, we invite you to convince us of your great love, to give us some specific instructions of how we can follow you and trust you in this season. And even as we pour ourselves out on behalf of others, help us to see you pouring yourself out into us. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.